我是台湾人，台湾人，台湾人。Welcome to Taiwan Yuan, where you'll hear stories of Taiwanese innovators, makers, and advocates. I'm your host Cindy, and today we're meeting with Jay Lin, the founder of Portico Media and Gaga Ulala, which is the one and only LGBTQ streaming service in Southeast Asia. This is a super episode as Jay and I cover his own journey as a gay man in Asia, the legalization of same-sex marriage in Taiwan. And his hopes for the future of this community. Let's get started. Hi, Jay. Tell us about yourself and your connection in Taiwan. Hi, Cindy. My name is Jay. I was born in Gaoshong, Taiwan, and kind of like you, I moved to the states when I was nine, and I stayed in the states until I was thirty before coming back to Taiwan to start the company that I'm currently running called Portico Media. You are a huge LGBTQ advocate in Taiwan in Asia. What prompted you to start Portico Media? Portico Media originally did not start as a company focusing on LGBT media. I started the company bring in foreign channels from media companies such as NBC, Comcast, Viacom, A and E to bring those channels into Taiwan and to provide them to the various IPTV digital cable operators. So that was kind of like the core business. But as I was doing this business, I realized that there's a certain Yearning and desire to do something that is outside of just an agency business, and to do something that is more akin to who I am as an LGBT person. So that was back in 2014 when I started the first Taiwan International Queer Film Festival. Doing a film festival is a lot more manageable because it happens two weeks out of the year <laughs>、uh, instead of 365 days, like running a business.、Yeah. And I felt that was a very Great way to give back to the community and country that I call Taiwan, and to bring films that I have enjoyed from visiting or participating in film festivals outside of Taiwan, especially the LGBT or queer ones,、mm -hmm. and to bring those films to the Taiwanese audience and to kind of test what that reception would be. What was that initial reception like? It was very positive, and in fact, even though. I grew up in a very liberal part of the U.S. in Northern California, like in the Bay Area,、mm -hmm. and I have come out to people ever since I was in college. I actually did not come out to my parents until I was forty,、mm -hmm. and right before I started the first queer film festival in Taiwan, because I just felt so much pressure and so much guilt about omitting my sexual orientation. My parents and I always thought it would be easier to avoid the truth and just to create a, a facade or illusion of a good filial son than to kind of break their hearts by telling them that I would not be able to fulfill kind of their expectations of a good son, which is to get married and to have children. How did your parents respond, though? I think they maybe kind of knew, even though they both were acting surprised. <laughs> <laughs> and I needed to tell them before the launch of the film festival because it was going to be all over the news and all over the paper,、uh, and、mm -hmm. I didn't want them to find out about their son' sexual orientation that way. The reaction from my dad was quite supportive. He even invited a lot of his relatives. To come to the screenings of the、oh. Taiwanese International Queer Film Festival. So even though he didn't 
you know, say, I love you, it's okay, or those kind of things. They like, never actually, say it. That's yeah. Fine. <laughs> and, you know, the, the action already yeah. um, speak much louder than any word that he could utter. And for my mom, she uttered a lot of words. <laughs> so she was like, she feels so sorry that she had for so many years tried to arrange um, oh. girlfriends, oh. potential suitors as wives for me. If she had known that I had no interest and that doing these kind of things <laughs> mm. is actually a painful experience mm. rather than a helpful process for me to start a family, then she wouldn't have done it. And that I really should have told her who I was much earlier so that we could have established an even closer relationship than the one that we had. But we quickly made up for lost time because after I came out to them and after the film festival, I started also thinking, because, you know, when people finish a whole decade, let's say going from the teens to 20s to 30s to 40s, generally, some people use that as an opportunity to reevaluate or kind mm -hmm. of like see what is the next decade right. has in store. Since I came out to my parents around the age of 40, I then use that opportunity to evaluate what is in the works as a gay man now fully, fully out to everyone, including the closest people in my life, my parents, what kind of different lifestyle or what kind of different life arrangements would be possible. And so I eventually found a way and a method to actually start my own family. So fast forward seven years later, I'm 47 this year, I am a proud gay dad Yay. of two four-and-a-half-year-old sons. Yeah. And that would have not been possible had I not embarked on the film festival and the wow. film festival forced me to, you know, confront the closet issue with my parents. And then having come out with my parents and having this opportunity to recreate a new path for my life that I otherwise would not have been able to do had I remained closeted. Yeah. But now as I look at the young generation being so comfortable with their sexuality, with their sexual orientation, and just with their own identity, it gives me a lot of happiness to know that these are really the fierce, the courageous sort of generation, <laughs> you know, that they don't need to wait so long to be very truthful and authentic to themselves and to the people around them. Knowing everything you know now, mm. what would you say to your 30-year-old self, your 20-year-old self? I would say, for the most part, stay on that path. In my 30s, I was fully, fully, 100 and, I don't know, 50% <laughs> devoted into entrepreneurship and making sure that Portico Media as a company could stay afloat financially mm -hmm. and that I could, you know, create a sustainable livelihood for myself as an entrepreneur. Because in my 20s, I had gone to law school but I chose a path that is significantly different than working in a law firm. Probably the total opposite extreme by doing something very risk prone, right? Yeah. The lawyers mm -hmm. are like very risk averse and, you know, they look out for all sort of possible dangers and risks and try to mitigate them. Yeah. And then entrepreneurs are like, you know, <laughs> doing all you can to create new businesses, new ideas and starting with nothing. And so... I was really focused on that. And that's maybe one of the reasons why I didn't find the need to come out to my I parents. See, yeah. I was already like head over shoulders 
with a lot of worries on making sure that the company can sustain itself and can continue to grow. And I didn't want to have additional burden of confronting my parents, and nor did I perceive at that time wanting them to worry about me. And so I didn't want them to think that I was not just trying to make a business work, but also probably in their eyes or in their minds getting discriminated against or getting stereotyped yeah, right. against for being gay. I think overall, I've done pretty good. And a lot of things in life are meant to be experienced and failed and learned. And so I wouldn't say I would do anything differently, but I would just give that 20-year-old self, uh, 30-year-old self, a good pat on the back and a big hug. Keep failing and keep learning and keep going. Yeah. You're really not a lawyer. You, you're an entrepreneur, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so you founded Gaga Ulala later on. Can you tell us about Gaga Ulala? Gaga Ulala was something that I felt was a potential new business I could do back in 2016. It was during the third year of running the Taiwan International Queer Film Festival that I kind of got a little bit burnt out by doing the film festival because we did multiple city screenings and then we took the movies to like small towns all over Taiwan. <laughs> but at the same time, it's great to make these movies everywhere because gays are everywhere. I mean, in Canada, in Taiwan, in Taipei, in Taichung, in Huarian, etc. But at the time, I felt there could be a more effective and a more feasible way to deliver these films mm -hmm. rather than inviting people to come to the film festivals at a particular time and at a particular place. And compounded by the fact that while running the film festival, there were many people outside of Taiwan who reached out to me and say, hey, you know, I'm in Malaysia or I'm in Indonesia, I'm in the Philippines, and I really love these films because I can see these trailers on Facebook and I can go to the website and see all these amazing films in the film festival. Is it possible that you find some way to make it available? I'm like, uh, piracy? <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I realized that there was a, a potential opportunity to... Yeah bundle these movies and make them available all year round, not just in Taiwan, but in the greater sort of Asian area and take advantage of the digital age and also the mobile world. And so I started crafting and evaluating whether that is something that could do or not financially, technically, etc. Being an entrepreneur and being kind of like a venturesome still at that time, I decided to plunge right in it. And in January of 2017, I decided to launch Gaga Ulala. Yeah. Its launch, we only had about 450 films, and, which is a lot already, obviously. <laughs> like a film festival has maybe 100. And launch in Taiwan and Southeast Asia. The launch of Gaga Ulala during its first rendition in 2017, just to Southeast Asia, got a great applause and feedback from the LGBT community, also from press. As something that was sorely needed and that finally is available for people in Southeast Asia. And just like when I was running the film festival, there are people outside of Southeast Asia writing me and saying, hey, when can you bring this to India? Or when can you bring this to Japan? Or how about the US? Or how about Colombia? But, you know, as a small, medium-sized media company, I, I don't have the deep pockets of, you know, major media conglomerates just to go global from zero to 80. 
miles per hour. So the next phase was to launch in 2018 in Hong Kong and Macau, mm-hmm. and then 2019 in South Asia. Finally, in May of 2020, around the one-year anniversary of the passage of uh, marriage equality, you know, gay marriage in Taiwan, we launched globally. So it seemed like a long time ago, Yay! but that was only like... Well, 2020 is a long year. I know. <laughs> yeah, that was only like six months ago. Yeah. So we've expanded from the initial 13 countries to 15 countries to 21 countries to 195. And then we've gone from 430 films to now having a database of 1,300, which I think is the largest in the world. Are there movies you're really proud of? Two most recent examples would be the movie that I worked on for the last three, four years called Taiwan Equals Love. And it's a documentary that details the three generations of gay couples and how they participated in Taiwan's same-sex marriage campaign Mm -hmm. to legalization and how the gay marriage would impact their life. So these are three generations of gay couples. The first couple are two elderly gay men in their 60s and 70s. And obviously marriage is very important to them because of their age and sickness. And they need to make sure that with inheritance and sort of like the estate planning that they can look out for each other. Mm -hmm. The second couple is a lesbian couple in their 30s, late 30s and early 40s who have a child together. And then the third young couple, which I just feel so close to, are two gay men in their early 20s, or maybe late 20s. I never asked their age. It's impolite. (laughs) (laughs) Embarking on a business together, selling cakes, entrepreneurs. One of them is actually from Macau. Even though same-sex marriage has passed in Taiwan, currently, if one of the couples, the non-Taiwan couple is from a country that hasn't legalized same-sex marriage in their own country, then they can't legally marry here in Taiwan. And so for them, there's still a continuous fight to make mm-hmm. sure that the laws are amended. So since Gaga Ulala is one of the founders of the Marriage Equality Coalition, I feel like I was in a position of access to reach out to these documentary subjects, as well as to record how Taiwan got from wanting to have same-sex marriage to getting same-sex marriage. And so just last month, it was at the Tokyo International Film Festival going around to some film festivals around the world. And eventually, you'll find a spot on Gaga Ulala. Mm-hmm. So that's one work that I'm extremely proud of, a documentary feature. The other one is an anthology series called Unlocked. Unlocked is a series that is directed by a Filipino director by the name of Odolfo Alex Jr., whom i only gotten to know this year digitally, this pandemic is being felt in various degrees and severity, but being felt globally. And so I found him online. I wanted to license some of the movies that he has made already. He's a acclaimed filmmaker whose films has been in Toronto and Cannes and Berlin. And we were just talking about how we might be able to put our minds together and create something that is relevant and impactful during these very challenging times of the pandemic. And the Philippines are having a difficult time dealing with the pandemic. And then we came up with an idea of doing an anthology, a total of nine episodes of gay people dealing with relationships and love and alienation during time of quarantine. Mm. So these nine episodes explore different aspects of gay relationships that are challenged 
by COVID, like long distance relationship, or two people who don't love each other that much to be in close quarters with each other for months and months, you know. And it's like me and my husband. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's beyond LGBT relationship. Many people can relate, right? Mm-hmm. Or or living by yourself and feeling so lonely that you want to go out and ask for paid sex, you know, Mm -hmm. these kind of like real issues. So we're like, how can a producer in Taipei and a director in Philippines work together to do something on this platform that is recently global to make sure that we can make these films that give people who are at home comfort or some kind of jumping point for thinking about these issues, no matter how difficult it might be for us to get together and do this. We need to find a well, safe and a feasible way of doing this. So without going into a lot of details, I mean, we eventually managed to put together nine very different tales with nine very different cast, lesbian, gay, elderly, young people, et cetera, the whole gamut and made it available on our platform. And it's been the highest viewed content on our platform ever. Like broke records. And we expected that because this is something that is so raw and so relevant to everybody's lives. So that's something very memorable that I will always cherish that I took the initiative and effort to do in 2020, when the whole world seemed to be stop in motion, that we still find ways to keep things going. Yeah, it's almost the COVID constraints force you to become more creative. Yeah, exactly. So now that you've shared these two movies, is there a mission behind Gaga Ulala? I think the mission of Gaga Ulala is to highlight and elevate the visibility of LGBT stories and characters. I guess one region at a time, one story at a time. Mm-hmm. But that has always been the goal, to showcase these movies that otherwise would not be screened in traditional outlets, but to make sure that people who want to explore these stories or who want to share these stories with other people would have a place to go to and to build a community of not just films, but also creators. Oh, sorry. (laughs) This is so touching. Okay. Uh, You did mention that you were part of the Taiwan Marriage Equality Coalition. Well, can you tell us what that experience was like? So that started in late 2016. I think it was in October, there was a French professor by the name of Jack Picot who had committed suicide. I don't know if you know this story, Cindy. No. It's, oh, okay. Like, it's like one of the catalysts for the uh, start of the marriage equality in Taiwan. So there was this French professor in Taiwan who killed himself because he had recently just lost his Taiwanese partner to illness. But his Taiwanese partner's family refused to let the professor make any decisions for the funeral, the community property that they had accumulated. And so he, as a foreigner who has lived in Taiwan for over three decades, felt so rejected and alienated and so desperate that he had to end his life as a way to find comfort. And that was talked about and discussed on news in Taiwan, that the extreme injustice to Professor Jack Paco was recognized by the whole entire population and also by the president. 
and also by the legislature, mm-hmm. who in 2016 had turned to be be DPP, and they were a lot more pro LGBT friendly. And so, with this tragedy that happened, Taiwanese population felt that it was time to address why and how this kind of travesty and tragedy can happen in Taiwan. So that's when a majority of the legislators in Taiwan, as well as the president, as well as the so like the moral compass in Taiwan, lean towards the passage of something to protect gay relationships. Obviously, it wasn't like a snap of the finger because yeah. we only passed this legislation in 2019. There was a lot of ups and downs with the legislative process, with the referendum, with many, many public hearings. But that was when it all started. And I was conducting the third Taiwanese International Kurifum Festival around the time of the death. And some of the legislators and some of the LGBT civil society leaders were like, okay, we have to do something together. This is like one moment where we have an opportunity to really address, not just within ourselves, but like the greater society Mm -hmm. as to why this is something that, even though you might not be gay, but you should see the injustice and find the political and the social willpower to make things equal and to prevent further deaths, like unnecessary deaths like this. So that was back in October and November after I finished a film festival and I also did this Quirmosa Awards, which we don't really need to get into. But the point is, I was already so exhausted at the time. And also around that time, I had just recently became a father of oh twins. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, oh my God, I need to like step off and just uh, sleep and hibernate for like three months to recover <laughs> from all the exhaustion. Mm-hmm. But no, after the film festival, we stepped immediately to form the Marriage Equality Coalition and started lobbying legislators, started doing campaigns, started doing massive gatherings that, you know, ushered out hundreds of thousands of people to support this cause. And it just kind of kept on going until the eventual passage. And now we have thousands and thousands of LGBTQ plus couples who are hopefully happily married, (laughs) but married nonetheless. (laughs) I wonder if you can share your experience as a gay man living in Asia, maybe some challenges or the differences you might face that listeners in the U.S. might not know about. Since I became a dad, I'm no longer so free to kind of pick things up and go wherever I want. I always need to think about whether this is a place or a thing that I can do to incorporate my whole family, my partner and two boys. Mm -hmm. And that kind of like family structure is very rare Mm -hmm. in Taiwan and definitely in many parts of Asia. And I think one of the first things that uh, a parent wants to do is to make sure that the children are protected no matter what. And so I do have different filters, what is considered a safe place for us to go as a family, whether if we are going to a place where maybe it's not so LGBT friendly, would I disclose that this man is mm-hmm. my partner or like my brother and that we're co-parents of these two children or they're all mine and it's just my brother tagging along just for safety reasons. I think those are additional considerations that I need to have going into certain and safe countries or regions in this world. But so far, I think so far so good. 
because <laughs> I generally go to places where I'm surrounded by people who I know and trust mm-hmm. and who are already fully aware of our situation. So, so far in their four and a half, four and a half years of life, we've been to Okinawa on a cruise from Taipei. On a gay cruise. What? That's so fun. <laughs> so they saw drag queens, like, you know, oh, no. yeah, <laughs> go-go dancers. Um, and not to, your typical, not like, your family, typical friendly. family. Yeah, that's too family friendly, maybe. <laughs> um, but in the back of my mind, I know there are certain situations and places that I should either avoid or go with different kind of like protective guards. Broadly speaking, do you have any advice for LGBTQ youths? In Asia or as Asian Americans? Even though, you know, Taiwan is relatively a very safe and even, in fact, like a, a beacon for LGBT rights, we do need to look at Asia regionally and see that there are countries and places where those rights are actually being removed as we speak. So in places like Indonesia or Malaysia, etc., and so we really need to put ourselves not just in our position of privilege, but mm-hmm. also to see how we can extend our assistance, no matter what we do as a media person or as a podcast presenter to help those people who are in a very different situation than, than ours. We have done many sort of videos interviewing the youth or elderly or people in different situations in life that we put on YouTube or on Facebook. Whereas before in high school, kind of like seeing Ellen, do you know Ellen DeGeneres? Of course, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so she's been around for a long time, right? Yeah. And now she's like openly lesbian. But yeah. I remember back in the day in high school when it was like, oh my God, what did she just do when she kissed Laura Dern on her Ellen show and got fired for it, right? But that was like, wow, gay people do exist. Like, I hope these kind of like content that we are putting out there into this world can get consumed by people all over the world who need them for strength and who need them for security that they're not alone. And the world is changing very quickly. And although some for the worst, but I think for the most part, in regards to this aspect of humanity, it is improving. And I'll only improve over time as more and more countries legalize in sex marriage, as more and more countries decriminalize homosexuality, like recently was done in India, in other places, life is going to get better. Has doing all of this work help you personally connect with Taiwan? I mean, of course, you know, when I came out and when I started doing the film festival, when I started doing the a lot of people reached out to me privately, whether they're public figures or, you know, people I've never met before, strangers, saying how much this has kind of helped them and asking me questions. And so in that way, I feel like I'm connecting with people that otherwise we would have no intersection to connect with. I've also done a mini docuseries called We're Taiwan, where we interviewed a lot of different LGBTQ people and found out what their lives are like. This includes drag queens, this includes, you know, gay families and people with disabilities. And so I've definitely been able to utilize the things that I do to get to know more interesting and enlightening people of Taiwan. Yes. And that journey continues to go on. So what do you hope to see from Taiwan next? 
I think I hope to see LGBT over the times to be referred less and less because I see that as a barometer of just kind of total inclusion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But before getting there, I think there needs to be a lot more breakthroughs in areas like politics or business or film and culture where there's more content or there's more representation or there's more visibility until it's like, why are you even raising this up? It's like normal already, right? Like in certain aspects, women have gone a long way. Mm -hmm. And I hope that LGBT sort of representation can kind of follow in that footpath. The LGBTQ movement in Taiwan, a lot of the key leaders have been women's right leaders. Mm-hmm. And so I do hope that we can have a similar trajectory of creating a better society for Taiwan by looking at the achievements that the feminist movement has made in Taiwan. You can check out the movies on Gaga Ulala by going to the website or downloading the app. To support the Taiwan Yuan Project, you can now donate on Patreon. Supporters will get to submit interview questions, attend private Ask Me Anything sessions with guests, and see behind-the-scenes content from me. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Taiwan Jiayou.